Welcome to the Lex City Church Podcast. To learn more about the ministries of Lex City, please visit LexCity.Church. Welcome to Arches National Park in southeastern Utah, home to more than 2,000 natural sandstone arches. Beyond that, there are other formations here like giant stone bluffs, pinnacles, and red rock canyons within this preserved area. It's an incredible, incredible sight to see. The park lies on top of a salt bed, which underwent extreme climate changes years ago, where debris from floods and ocean waters compressed into rock, pushing the earth upward into domes and down into hollow pockets, creating these amazing arches. One of the most famous arches in the park is called Delicate Arch. It's one of the most iconic arches you'll ever see. It's kind of a symbol of Utah. It's on their postage stamp, it's on their license plate. It's probably the most recognizable arch in the entire world. The largest natural arch is called Landscape Arch, which is 290 feet in length. And the one right behind me is called Skyline Arch. Now these arches are known in pop culture as well because there's been plenty of movies that have taken place right here. There's two movies in particular that have nothing to do with each other. One is a classic called Thelma and Louise. The other one is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. While each arch here at the National Park has its own identity, we get asked questions every week, whether we realize it or not, they're asking about our identity. When you meet someone new and they say, tell me about yourself, who are you? And you wrestle with that question. And you may say things like your name or what you do for a living, maybe your favorite sports team. But the reality is when we talk about our identity, we're talking about things that are important to us. So things like our faith, our family, where we come from, our past experiences, these are all things that make up pieces of our identity. We can also feel insecure about our identity. Just like all the arches right here in this national park were formed over a long period of time in the wilderness, it's very similar to what uh, God does for us in scripture. There are people throughout scripture who are having an identity crisis and they go to the wilderness and God reminds them of who they are. Most of us are pretty familiar with what it feels like to be insecure. Maybe we have a particular challenge in our life that we just don't feel like we're ready for. Maybe you just got a new job and you're just not sure you're up to the task. Maybe you're dating someone new and you're just really concerned about the expectations that the family has upon you. Or maybe you're a new parent and you're like, I don't think I have what it takes to do this. The bad news is in ourselves, we probably don't have what it takes. But with God, the good news is we don't have to. Because knowing God is your savior will transform our identities and overcome our insecurities. There's a guy in the Bible by the name of Moses who knew a lot about insecurity. By the time that he meets God at the burning bush, he's a pretty defeated man. But early on in life, he had power, he had position, but then things went horribly wrong. He tries to stand up for his Jewish people and he ends up killing a man. Then the Jews rejected him and Pharaoh banished him. Then he spent the next 40 years in the wilderness just nursing his failure. You see, Moses was stuck. He didn't feel like he belonged. He was born a Hebrew, raised an Egyptian. And so he emotionally identified with his Hebrew brothers and sisters, but they didn't really accept him. And then he was born an Egyptian and he was understood all the power and the position, all the things that he had within that place in his life, but really didn't feel like he belonged with them either. And so when this happens, he feels like he doesn't have an identity and he's going through a crisis. And then he's thrown into the wilderness. So you have Moses in this terrible spot feeling like he doesn't really belong to anyone and, and God's talking to him and you're thinking, how is God gonna help Moses, you know, overcome this? Well, I'll tell you, it wasn't through just the power of positive thinking. 
God didn't give Moses a mirror and say, hold this in front of you and say, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. That's what he didn't do. What God did was just tell him simply, I will be with you. Real confidence does not come from competence, but it comes from the assurance of God's presence. We pick up our conversation between God and Moses in Exodus chapter three, and it says this. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So when Moses says to God, basically, who am I to be the one doing this? And God's reply is amazing because he says, it doesn't really matter who you are. It matters who I am. And it matters who I am in your life. And Moses is saying things like, I'm not smart. I'm not eloquent. I'm not successful. I'm just not the right man for this job. And God's like, this is exactly why you are the right man for this job. Because this is how I work. I work with those who are humble. I work with those who don't think they have enough. I work with those who don't have all the things that the world would probably say to have because then you're an empty vessel and I can use you the way I want to use you. As I stand here in the scorching heat, in the desert, in this wilderness, thinking about my identity, thinking about you know, how God will forge your identity, how God will redeem your life, how God will tell you that I am and so therefore you can be as well, I think about how Moses was in the desert for 40 years and God was forging his identity. So today we're gonna to look at the life of Moses. So if you have your Bibles with you right now, you can turn to the book of Exodus or you can go to Lexi.info for message notes and follow along. Well, good morning. Uh, I'm happy to be in this nice air-conditioned auditorium. It was 105 degrees when we shot that video a little while ago, and you can turn, like I said, to Lexi.info, click on message notes and follow along today, but we're gonna be in Exodus, the second uh, book of the Bible. Genesis kind of concludes with the people of Israel moving to Egypt to escape a famine led by Joseph, and by the time Exodus rolls around, there is a new Pharaoh who feels threatened by the people of Israel and proceeds to force them into slavery, but they begin to continue to grow in number, and so he decides to kill all the male babies at that time. And this is when Moses is born, is during this time period. And so after hiding him for three months, his mother puts him in a basket, floats him down the river. That same day, uh, Pharaoh's daughter, who's out by the river bathing, she finds this baby in a basket, claims the baby as her own. The interesting thing is the daughter sees it's a Hebrew boy, no doubt she would know the law her father had decreed and still decides to save the child anyways. And the child is reunited with his mother, and when he is done nursing, he is brought to the palace and raised as Pharaoh's grandson. And so Moses grows up in the palace, gets the best education, has everything he could possibly want, anything he needs at his disposal. Life is good, right? Yet he never loses sight of the fact he is not really an Egyptian. We know this because in Exodus 2, verse 11, we read this. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that, seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and, and hid him in the sand. 
So not only does he know he's a Hebrew, he's also bothered by the way they're being treated, bothered so deeply by this injustice that he actually kills a man and buries him in the sand. Read the Old Testament, guys. It's sad. There's lots of killing in the Old Testament. Moses stood up for his people, and he paid dearly for it. Obviously, Pharaoh discovers what he's done. Once Moses killed for it, Moses flees, and suddenly he goes from having everything he could ever want in the confines of a palace, being the grandson of Pharaoh, to being an alien, a fugitive, and really having nothing. So when we talk about these things we find our identity in, Moses kind of lost all the things that he had found his identity up until this point. And that brings us to Exodus chapter 3, and, and a good reminder that God often reaches out to us in our lowest moments. When we are in times of crisis or feeling lost, it's often times of most time where ability to hear from God in those moments. And the wilderness can be a place of testing, a place you can find your identity when you're having an identity crisis. So here we have Moses, who feels stuck in the middle, born a Hebrew, raised an Egyptian by Pharaoh's daughter. And so after Moses kills the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand, long story short, everyone finds out what Moses did. His Hebrew brothers and sisters, the Egyptians, even Pharaoh. And so he has to flee to a place called Midian. He's there for a while until God shows up in a burning bush. And God is basically like, I see the way my people are being treated in Egypt, and I want you to lead them out of this oppression. Well, if you know the story, you know that Moses gives God all the reasons that he is the wrong choice, the wrong candidate for this really big job. And then God shows up and does a bunch of weird miracles to kind of show him that he is. One of them, he has him take his staff, says throw it on the ground, turns into a snake, pick a bug up, turns back into a, into a staff again. He tells Moses, take your hand, put it inside your cloak. He pulls it out and gave him a severe skin disease. He says, put it back in your cloak. He pulls it out and he's healed. What a great magic trick, right? He even has him turn the Nile River into blood to prove to him that you are equipped, you are called. I am calling you that he's like, no. Even after all this, Moses still doesn't believe he is equipped or called to lead because this next statement was true for Moses and is true for us today as well. A lie believed as truth will affect you as if it were true. One of our spiritual enemy's greatest weapons is to lie to us, the father of lies, Satan, to try to convince us that even though something is not true, if you will believe it, then we'll live and act on it as if it were true. And so Moses was like this. Exodus chapter four, God himself calls Moses to deliver God's people from bondage. And watch as Moses felt the same way many of us often feel. Verse 10, Moses says to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. In other words, he's like, God, I am not good at public speaking. I will freeze up. I will freak out. This is not good. If you look it up and you look at people's greatest fears, number two is actually the fear of death. You know what number one is? Public speaking. So Jerry Seinfeld's joke is if you're at a funeral, you would, most people would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. And Moses, that's what he's feeling in this moment. He's like, God, there's got to be so many other people more qualified to do this. Just choose them. Don't choose me. I am not the right person for the job. 
Basically, he's saying, God, I'm not good enough. And so many of us, we believe this line and it affects us as if it were true because we base our worth wrongly on a couple of things. And these are in your notes. It says this, the first one, the lie. Your worth is based on what people say about you. And this starts early on when we're kids, right? A lot of you had the amazing opportunity to grow up in a home with parents that were super encouraging, that really lifted you up, that really built your confidence. And even when they had to have hard conversations with you, they did it in love, and they walked through that great, right? But a lot of people, that's not your story. You grew up in homes where it wasn't that way, where you were told things like, you don't measure up, or you're stupid, or you're pathetic, or can you be more like your sister, or more like your brother? Whatever those things that you heard, they begin to play in your head, and you begin to believe them, even though they're a lie, you begin to believe them as if they are true. And then you're finding your worth based on those things. And even today, right, if someone gives you a compliment, if someone tells you you did something great, you feel pretty good about yourself. But if someone tells you either directly or indirectly, Something negative about you, it, it kind of ruins your day. You feel like a failure, right? Because a lot of us, we base our worth on what people say about us. Another common lie is this. Your worth is based on your past experiences. What happened in your past? If you grew up maybe in a challenging family and you're like, you know what, my family doesn't have much, I'll probably never have much. Or maybe you got average grades and then you equated that, well, average grades will equal average life. And so you're basing your worth on your past experiences. Maybe you have a past where you made some really, really bad choices. And maybe those bad choices even led to some sort of addiction or some sort of hurt or some sort of hang up. And you hurt a lot of people around you. And so you're basing your worth on all of that. Moses battled with this just like so many of us do. In verses 11 through 13, what's interesting is God, he's speaking this amazing truth to Moses. But in the moment, he can't hear it because the voice of his past, the voice of other things are speaking louder. Watch the dialogue. It says, The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? That's some, that's some good talk right there. Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Oh, Lord, please send someone else to do it. He's like, God, you don't get it. I'm just not good enough. Please send someone else. And so many of us, we believe that lie. And it's led us to some pretty dangerous conclusions about our own life. Like, since I'm not good enough, I can't make a difference, so why even try? I've always been average. I fail at most things that I do. I'm not good looking enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm inadequate in every way. I'm really not even worthy to be loved, so why bother? I'm just simply not good enough. And that's the lie the enemy wants you to believe. But remember this. Let this sink in today. You are not who others say you are. You are not the sum total of your past experiences. You are who God says you are. 
You are not the opinion of others. You are not what happened to you in the past. You are who God says you are. So whenever that lie comes up and it says you're not good enough, you're inadequate, what you do is you replace it with the truth. Because the bottom line is this, for those of you who are Christ followers, when you, when you accept Christ in your life, your old nature dies, it's gone. You have a new heart, you have a new spirit, you are a new creation. But here's the hard part, just because you are spiritually new, it doesn't mean that those old memories just automatically go away. We are often still haunted by those negative tapes that kind of continue to run on repeat in our minds. It's why we have to capture those lies and let God's truth renew our minds that we'll start to believe what God says about us. And when we believe what he says about us, then we can do what he's called us to do. Because so many of us, we wrongly believe the lies that we are what we do. Solomon was like this in the Old Testament. The wisest guy who ever lived, you thought he would have had this figured out, right? Ecclesiastes 2 says this, my heart took delight in all my work. And this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. If we believe the lie that I am what I do, then our identity wrongly comes from several places. And now what I'm gonna do next is I just want us to kind of walk through something that may be challenging because we have to be honest with, our, with ourselves. I have to be honest with myself. I did not enjoy preparing the sermon this week because sometimes the truth hurts. And I'm gonna raise three different areas. I just want you to admit if you identi your identity wrongly comes from any of these areas. The first one is this. If we believe the performance lie, our identity wrongly comes from what we've accomplished. For a lot of us, this started early in grade school, right? I wanna please my parents. I wanna please my teachers. I wanna please my coaches. And if I can just be good enough and I can just do enough good things, then I will please them. If I can just get enough good grades. For me, it was sports. If I can just get better at this sport, if I can just be better than that person, if I can just have my coach compliment me instead of somebody else, and you find your identity in the things that you've accomplished. As we get to be older, maybe it's in, the, isn't it, maybe it's in your business life. I was the top producer in my company this month, so therefore I feel valued now. But man, a couple months ago, I was a low performer, so I didn't feel valued, I felt worthless. I get the promotion, I feel good about myself. I don't, I feel bad. I have that high income, I feel good. I don't, I feel bad. This is where we're wrongly finding our identity is, is in these places right here. And then when it gets really messed up as parents is when we start receiving our worth from what our children accomplish. Have you been there, mom and dad? Where we relive our glory days of our sports life through our children today. And then we make excuses like, I'm just a passionate dad as I'm screaming my lungs out, right? And sometimes it can be that, but we have to check our motives. I was coaching my daughter's soccer team yesterday and the ref was terrible if I don't say so myself as a coach. And I had to choose not to scream and lose my witness on the soccer field yesterday. But as parents, we love to be able to tell 
other parents and friends and coworkers about our kids' accomplishments, which isn't wrong. But we have to check our motives and why we're telling them. Are we finding our identity in those things? Are we finding our identity in our kids? The next one, our identity wrongly comes from, this one hits me hard too, what we have. Our material possessions, right? Man, what car do I drive? What house do I have? What addition did I add on to that house? What vacations did we get to take and get to post pictures of, right? What club sports are my kids in? Once again, these things aren't wrong to have any of those things. But when we find our identity in those things, that's when it becomes unhealthy. The last one, our identity wrongly comes from what people think about us. We all like to tell people, like, I don't care what people say. I'm not a people pleaser. We are. We just are. Like, we all deeply care what people think about us. We all deeply care what people say about us and what they think about us. I remember when I first got into ministry, I was actually working for our lead pastor for Brian as a youth intern, then I became a youth pastor later, and man, I just thought I had something to prove. I was always working as hard as I could, as long as many hours as I could, because I was gonna prove that I love God so much, I love the church so much, and that people would look at me and they would think a certain thing about me. And finally, Pastor Brian told me, the church will take, Zach, as much as you're willing to give the church. And I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> I've been doing this wrong. And so I had to have that moment, and I had to process, and I had to go, man, like, I need to not think as highly about what people think about me as I am right now. You need to remember this. You are not what you did. You are not what you do. You are not what you're going to do. You are who God says you are. We have to let that truth settle in our hearts. We are not our performance or what we accomplish or what we accumulate or what others think of us. We are who God says we are. And if you're a Christ follower right now in the room, when someone asks you that, what do you say? Well, I'm a teacher, I'm a banker, I'm a lawyer, I'm a stay-at-home mom, I'm an executive assistant. No, that's what you do. Who you are is you are a creation, a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. You're a beloved of God. You're a joint heir with Christ. You're a child of the King. You are who God says that you are. It's important that we don't mix up the who with the do. And I don't want you to say, hey, what I do is not important. It is important what we do. Ephesians 2.10 says it this way. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So what we do is important but the motive in which we do it is even more important. What we do is a result of who we are. What we do doesn't define who we are. Our careers don't define who we are. The amount of money we have doesn't define who we are. What our kids accomplish doesn't define who we are. We need to let God define that for us. A couple things as we close. I've heard it said this way before and I love this. Let God define the do's and the don'ts. Let God define what you will do and let God define what you won't do. Let God define the do's and the don'ts. Now why is this so important? For those of us that struggle with this performance mentality, let me tell you right now what's going on in your life. You were overcommitted, 
you're stressed, you're freaking out, there's so much going on, you're wondering, can I keep it up? And I know this because when you believe your worth comes from what you do, you do too much trying to prove yourself. And you're actually probably doing more than what God actually wants you to do right now. Hear the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Most people I know would probably say my yoke is hard and my burden is heavy. Because we're doing so much all the time and we're doing it because we're in this wilderness season and we're trying to find our identity and we're wrongly finding it in all of these things. Jesus says if you're yoked with him, if you're joined with Jesus, you're doing life with him, the yoke is easy, the burden is light. He will empower you. It will be a joy-filled journey empowered by his spirit. Sometimes there's too much going on and you're doing something God doesn't want you to do. And can you see that? Jesus said, I only do what I see my father doing. In other words, I'm not trying to prove anything to anyone, myself or otherwise. I only do what God tells me to do. So God, define the do's and the don'ts. I'll do what you call me to do and I won't do the rest. Because I know if I want to be effective and pleasing in my service to God, and really say yes to his best, we have to learn to say no to the rest. How many of you by a show of hands struggle when someone says something? You, you struggle to say no when someone asks you to do something. A lot of us, right? It's hard to say no. You're worried, are they gonna be frustrated with me? Are they not gonna ask me again? Like, what are they gonna do when I say no? But sometimes... We have to say no so we can do God's best for our life. I know a lot of you guys in the room and the watching online probably love a good to-do list, right? You make a list, it feels great to check things off, you feel accomplished. Have you ever made a to-don't list? These are the things I'm listing out that I'm actually not going to do anymore. I used to, but not anymore. God, you define what I do, you can define what I don't do. I used to think to be a better leader, I just had to do more, and I learned from better leaders that led me, telling me, actually, you need to do less, just do, be better at the less that you do. And I was like, oh. So many of us are busy, and sometimes we're missing the point. Let God define what we do and what we don't do. It says in Proverbs 20, it is a trap for a man to dedicate something rashly and only later to consider his vows. So before you say, yes, let God define what you do and what you don't do. And number two, as we close, let God define the when and the then. For those of us that live with this performance mentality, I am what I do, you have a list a mile long and a trail that goes years behind you of wins and thens. When I get everything where I want it, then we'll start living. When I accomplish this goal, then we'll do this other thing, right? The problem is for the performance mentality, we have so many wins, but the thens rarely come. James says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why do you even know what will happen tomorrow? 
What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. The when and the then. You can look it up later. It's in Luke chapter 10. But a great example of this is Mary and Martha. Martha invites Jesus to come over to the house. Mary is there and Martha's there. And Mary, she sits at the feet of Jesus. She's just being present with Jesus. And Martha, like many of us, is doing what we would be doing, right? She's making preparations. She's getting everything ready. She's hacked off at Mary for being lazy. She even wraps her out to Jesus. She says, Jesus, tell, tell Mary to help me. Like, what is she doing right now? And in her mind, I can guarantee you what was going on because this is my mindset too. When I get everything in order, when I make all the preparations, when everything is just right, then I'll get to enjoy Jesus. Jesus said to her, Martha, you're upset and worried about many things. Mary has chosen what is better. It will not be taken away from her. How does this play out in our everyday life? When the kids get older, then we'll spend time together. When our careers get established, then we'll get married. When we get financially where we want to be, then we'll spend more time with our kids. When we get this thing paid off, then we'll start prioritizing our giving to our church. When we get a nice enough house, then we'll agree to host a life group. When we get settled down in life, then we'll start serving at church. And the then rarely comes. The performance mentality, always another giant to kill, always another mountain to climb, Always another task to complete. Always another goal just around the corner. Colossians says, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So as we close today, maybe some of you are here, you're watching online, and you struggle with your identity. You're struggling with your purpose. You struggle with being consumed by what people think of you. You feel stuck in this wilderness season while you're having this identity crisis, I want to encourage you today, God sees you. The same way he saw Moses back then. No matter how you feel about yourself, no matter your past, no matter your circumstances, no matter your insecurities, God looks at you today with love and care and concern. And he wants you to find your identity in him and in nothing else. So as we close, just do me a favor. Just close your eyes, bow your heads. Nobody looking around. I do this every time I preach because I just believe our lives are so fast-paced. We don't ever have moments where we just kind of stop and close our eyes and focus on God for just a moment. And maybe you're here today and you're listening to this message about Moses and his identity and all these things and finding it in the right place and you're realizing in this moment right now today, you're like, I don't think I've ever put my identity in Jesus. I don't think, I've, I, don't think I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I wanna encourage you, maybe that's why you're here today. It says in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That means that God knows all the sin, all the mistakes in my life from my past and my present and even my future. And in spite of all of that, he says, 
I love each one of you unconditionally, like no human being ever could. And he takes it one step further. He says, I want a relationship with you through my son, Jesus. So if you're here today, or you're watching online, and you would say, you know what? Like, I've never done that. I've never put my faith and trust in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I know that when I lay my head on my pillow at night, I feel a little bit hopeless and I have this part of my heart that feels empty and I'm telling you it's because it can only be filled with a relationship with Jesus. So if you're here today with every head bowed, every eye closed, and you say, Zach, that's me. I wanna ask Christ to come to my heart for the very first time. Just lift your hand up right now. Just lift it up so I can see your hands. Awesome. Anybody else that would say, that's me? I see your hand back there. Anybody else? I'm gonna give this a second. If that's you, just lift up your hand. Awesome. You guys can put your hands down. I'm just gonna say a prayer right now, and it's just uh, a simple prayer, and it's just you connecting your heart to the very heart of God. So just say something like this in your own head, in your own heart. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that my sin separates me from you. But today, God, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to save me. I ask you to change me. I believe in your son, Jesus, and that he died on the cross for my sins and that he beat death and rose again. I wanna start living for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we just give a round of applause for those that made that decision this hour and last hour as well? It's an incredible decision. I encourage you just to take a next step. If you're here in person, we have a card in your seat back there. It says, life is complicated. We know a guy, his name is Jesus. You can fill that out. Take it to the Welcome Center after the service is over. We wanna give you a free book that we created. It's just called The Decision. It's got some awesome next steps for you there. If you watch it online, you can click on I Prayed and we'll also send you some information as well. As we close out today, maybe you've been a Christ follower for a long time, but you've been kind of in this season of a wilderness and you're, fine, and you're struggling just to kind of place your identity in the right things. I wanna encourage you. God is beckoning you. He's saying, come back to me. I'm ready. So we're gonna sing this song as we close. I encourage you guys just to stand up and let this be the anthem of your heart this morning as we close out. Thank you for listening to the Lex City Church podcast. If you would like to support ministries of Lex City, visit lexcity.church/give. Please subscribe and follow us on social media at Lex City Church for more encouraging teachings and content.